0: is going to be doing the toddler church, and so if um, the children ages 3 to 6 would like to go, do we have any of those, we do, okay, and uh, while the, the children are, are, are going out, the rest of us, we can turn to the book of Revelation, and uh, we returned back into the book of Revelation last week, from our hiatus, coming through, the, um, coming through a, a brief introduction of biblical prophecy, and we looked last week. Um, in Revelation chapter 4, as we considered the throne room of God. And Matt, if you want to hit the lights here while we go through that kind of review there. As we looked at the throne room of God last week, and as we looked at the throne room of God in chapter 4 of last week, we considered the, um, the person of God, and we saw that God was was de- described red and white as a... Uh, to- um, oh, here we go. Sardius and... Um, in my mind, it's blanking out now. Anybody remember? Jasper. Jasper stone. Thank you. Jasper stone and Asardius. And, a, and, a and then as well he had a, a rainbow surrounding him that was an emerald. And then we considered in his presence, that all that was going on in his presence. And we saw the, the four and twenty elders, how they encircled the, uh, the throne as well. We saw the four living creatures. We saw the, um, the, the sea of glass that was before him. And we saw the, the seven living spirits which were represented by the The seven flames. And then we considered his praise as well. And we saw how the four living creatures, um, they they cried out his praise to God. And how the uh, 24 elders as well cried out praise to God. And today we want to continue on in that throne room um, in chapter 5. Devin has already read um, chapter 5 for us. But we see the first thing that happens in chapter 5 in that throne room, we're still there, is that all of a sudden there is an appearance of a scroll. And on the scroll it is written both front and back. It's written on the, the front side and the back side. And so we, we look at this, the introduction of the Lamb. Because what's going to happen in chapter 5 is that we're going to see the Lamb of God. And so in this we're going to look at the introduction of the Lamb. And then we're going to look at the adoration of the Lamb. But in this introduction we see that, that the Lamb comes as a result of the presentation, if you would, of this scroll. That they're in the throne room of God. There's all this praise going on and worship going on of God. And in the midst of this, in the the hand of God, the right hand of God, is this this scroll that is written front and back. And so, we want to consider the scroll and the presentation of the scroll. And we note that, first of all, the scroll was in the possession of him who sat on the throne. Okay? This is important because it's going to talk about what? Ownership. Okay? Who Who has the scroll? And so second thing we see is that we saw that the scroll was written on both the inside and the outside. There are many um, interpretations of what that means. The reality is that, for me, when I consider this, I, I look at the fact of um, what this is. What the scroll, for me, potentially is, is the scroll of God's message to the world. It's his ownership over the earth. Okay, And we're told about Jesus Christ in the book of John that um, if everything that Jesus Christ had ever done was written down that the the skies couldn't can the the scroll if the skies was a scroll it couldn't contain it all and so this scroll was written on the front and on the back it's just it's it's full of the message of god it's full of god's glory there's another side of that as well and that is that um there is the the belief that symbolically that the thing that the things that were written on the inside are representative of the things which have Gone before, the things which are written on the outside are represented of the things which are to come. I'm not quite sure how all that fits together, but from my perspective, this is the scroll, the ownership of, of, the, of the world. And the, and the world belongs to God, and the reality is that when we talk about history, we, we know that we can break the word history down into two words, and that is his story. It's all about God's story. It's all about God. And so when we look over time, it's all about God. And so when I look at this scroll, and I see it, I just see that it's chock full It is just chock full of what God has done throughout history and what his plans will be in the future. And then finally, it was sealed with seven seals. Now, these seven seals are important to us. In two weeks from now, uh, the the blessing Devin has has agreed to speak next week so that I can take Marsha away um, at the end of the week. And I don't have to worry about while I'm away with her trying to prepare um, for next week because I don't want to just kind of throw something together when we get into the seal judgments. And these seals, these seven seals that we're going to see are very important when it comes into what God has for the earth. Now, the reason is, again, is that during those days, the seal was a sign of authority and ownership. And so, if you recall back in the book of Daniel, when Daniel was praying and he was found praying and he was set up and they threw him into the lion's den, that Darius came and he what? Sealed the lion's den. And they placed his signet ring, he placed, placed his, sign, his signature mark upon the seal. The only one who was allowed to open up that seal on the lion's den was, was Darius. Or Darius. And so, um, so in the same way, this pictures the ownership. And so this scroll is sealed seven times. The number seven in scripture is the number four perfection. So if you were to look at um, something being sealed seven times, you would assume that this is sealed what? Completely. It is sealed perfectly and completely. And it is sealed only but to the point that only the one who owns that signet can open it. Does that make sense? Okay. It is that person's ownership. So we go on then in the presentation of that scroll. The next thing we see though, is the presentation of the owner of the scroll. because when that scroll is being now presented,, okay, we see that there is this, this sorrow that comes upon John. because as the scroll is placed there, we're, we see that in chapter five verse, um, verse three, that no one in heaven or under the earth or under, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to. Open the scroll, or look at it. And so John says in verse 4, So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll, or to look at it. We're going to look at that in a moment in a little bit more detail, but that's important. But just picture yourself being John right now. Being there in heaven. And this is an important document that needs to be read, that needs to be opened. God has it. I mean, of all places, for things not to be squared away, you wouldn't expect it to be where? The throne room of God, right? And so God has this this scroll with seven seals, and 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 he has it in his right hand for someone to take and to begin to open. But no one in heaven, no one on the earth, no one under the earth was found worthy to take the scroll and to open it, so John is devastated. I can't imagine the weeping. Could you? I mean, in my mind, I, I begin to wonder whether it's a faith thing as well. I mean, this is the—if this is the the culmination of my hope—and now all of a sudden it's what? It's thrashed. It's just—it's destroyed. And so he begins to weep, and we then see that as he begins to weep. One of the elders in verse 5 says to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And so we, we see the presentation of the owner. And the owner, we're told, is called a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, what do you know about a lion? He's the king of the jungle, He's the king of the jungle ain't he? He's the biggest, and he's the he's the baddest. He's got he's got the authority. He is he is known as the king. And and honestly, I think that the um, of all people to do a great rendition of um, the Lion, in which in the wardrobe, um, the uh, who were the ones that, that made it. It wasn't Disney though. Disney didn't do it, but it was a Disney offshoot, wasn't it? The the, the line which in wardrobe. Anyways, but Aslan. Um, Aslan being the picture of Jesus Christ the lion I think they did a great job I don't know if you've, if, if you've seen it at all but when the, the white witch comes and, and she's demanding she's the picture of Satan and she's demanding that, that Edward should die which would destroy the whole um, plan of God and everything um, she meets with, the, um, meets with Aslan and, and they, they have this agreement and she goes out and she turns around to kind of pull the authority on him and what does he do? Does anybody remember? Roar! And when he roars, I mean, she just falls back, and everyone just, she shut up. This is the picture of the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who has the authority. He's the one who has power. He's the one who has the strength. But I think it's really neat is that the lion of the tribe of Judah has what? Prevailed. To open the scrolls. And then I look and I see what? A lamb. This lion, this roaring authoritative strength is a lamb. A lamb, and not just a lamb, but a lamb that what? Looks as if it's been slain. What do you think a lamb that looks like it's been slain looks like? Bloody? Bloody? Emaciated? I mean, not the picture of power, but rather the picture of what? Failure? Defeat? Yeah. Not quite the picture, except for in God's economy as well, these are one and the same. I told Marcia when I was reading it, it it hit me, probably for the first time as I was studying this week, the, the neat picture that this is. When we talk about the millennial reign of Christ... We always talk about the lion that's going to lie down with the, what? The lamb. The lion and the the lamb. They're all one and the same in Jesus Christ. We talk about Jesus Christ being a meek individual. Remember we talk about what meekness is? Meekness isn't weakness, but meekness is having a power, having strength, having authority, but having the self-control not to use it. And so we see this one who is the, the lion and yet is the lamb. And as we see this lamb, this lamb is, is described as having seven eyes and, 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 and seven horns, which are the what? The seven spirits of God. And the seven spirits of God, we talked about this before, but it comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read those to you because I think they're important again as we go into these eyes and we go into these horns. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse... And a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so we have the spirit of Yahweh. The spirit of wisdom. The spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel. The spirit of might. The spirit of knowledge. And the spirit of the fear of Yahweh. And so when we see these two things. These seven horns and these seven eyes. They're going to be representative of the seven spirits. And so for the, we see the seven spirits and the seven horns, yes? And what? Are, how do they picture, I mean the seven horns and the seven eyes, how do they picture the seven spirits of God that I just read? What is a horn? Power. Authority. And so we're told that in the sevenfold spirit of God, that it is a spirit of counsel and of might. The idea of the spirit of counsel is that, again, which has come for war. Like when you were to wage war, you would get what? Wise counsel. So you get the counsel and might. And so you have these horns, which are picturing that side of the the, the spirit of God that is coming. But then you also have the eyes, which are the, the picture of what? Of insight. Okay? And so he has the... The seven eyes, which are all seeing, if you would, and so they have the wisdom of God and the fear of God, who we know the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. And so he has the seven eyes, and again, the number seven is the number of perfection. So he has perfect authority, he has perfect wisdom and in, in understanding. And so when this lamb comes, he is not a lamb that is, is weak, He is not a lamb that is unable to do anything, but rather he is a lamb because he was that sacrifice which was chosen by God, which we're going to see in a moment as well. But not only is he called a lion, not only is he seen to be the lamb, but I want to challenge you that he's also seen to be the Lord. Now, in what we read there in Revelation chapter 5 already, um, how do I get that he is the Lord? Well, no, we're not there yet. Not not there yet. Before we even get there, how do I know that he has to be the Lord? He took the scroll. He took the scroll. Okay, he took the scroll. Now let's let's think about this. Just the fact that he took the scroll, what does it? Why well, does it mean that he has to be God? That he has to be the Lord? Only God can break the seals. How do you know that? Well, we don't know that. We're not told that it has God's mark on it. Okay? But you are. Think, Andrew. Why do you think? Because he didn't sin. He didn't sin. Well, that's not here in this one, but we know that's true. Christopher? Well, we don't know. Well, that's true. It's in God's right hand, okay? But, but he is handing it away in a sense, okay? Follow me. This is a logical progression. It's perfectly, it's perfectly sealed. Go into what you were saying before. Who wasn't able to open it? it. Nobody. Nobody in heaven. So that includes what? All the created things and beings of heaven. These are all created things. So angels, includes angels, cherubim, seraphim, right? Includes Satan himself, right? Right? Includes the stars, the sun, the moons. No created thing that's out there. Even inanimate things are able to open up and take the seals. Nothing on the earth is able to open it up. So we're talking about creeping things, beasts of the earth, flying things, whatever, and nothing that is under the earth. So no matter where you go, whether you're in the heavens, whether you're on the earth, whether you're under the earth, there is no created thing. There is nothing out there that is able, that is worthy to open the scroll. So if there is no created thing, if there is no one in any of those things that is able to open it up, who must the lamb be? He must be the creator. If he's not a creature, then he's got to be the creator. Does that make sense? I mean, this is a great picture to me of the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I know it blows people away, and the Mormons are going to love to say it, and the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to love to say it. About if God is sitting on the throne, then how does the lamb come out and take the uh, the scroll? The answer is, I don't know. All I know is that the Bible declares that Jesus is God. <clears throat> he is one and the same as Yahweh. Now, what's exciting about this? We'll see this as we go into His adoration. Okay, is that that God declared, and, you'll, and I'll talk about this again in a moment. That God's not going to share His what, His glory with any other. So we look at His adoration. First of all, we see His adoration by the twenty-four elders. Okay, and what do we read about? From the adoration of these 24 elders. Now, before we get into this, I I just reminded myself that I want to talk about these 24 elders. Because last week, somebody asked me a question about the the 24 elders. Because I made a statement in Revelation 4 that these 4 and 20 elders were um, the 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. And someone asked me where I got that from, and I said it was right there. I mean, it's it's right there. I mean, it says it right there. Don't you read it? I read it. Don't you read it? It's right there. Anyways, it wasn't right there. It's not right there, and um, and so I, I I searched the scriptures to to. You remember I told you when we go into Revelation, you got to be very careful because you come into it with what preconceived notions. Yeah, and so this was a preconceived notion that I I just had, and I still will kind of hold to it. We'll talk because I want to take a little a couple seconds here, okay? But it was amazing to me when someone asked me about it that I I didn't have the answer right there. It was just something that. I just have always believed, and I guess I didn't check it out. I just When I made my outline, I didn't even think anything about it. I just kind of threw it down because that made sense. They were the, that's who they were. Well, um, there are a lot of opinions who the 4 and twenty elders are. Um, the, the major opinions would be that they are representative of all the believers of the church. Okay, the, um, One of the reasons that they, they hold to this is because they have white robes on. Right, um, and they have crowns on their head. Now the the the, the negative side of this, the, the reason why it doesn't necessarily hold that way, is because angels also are robed in white. Okay, and, you know they try to say that you know the white robes signify that they must be believers. Well, the angels always are signified as having white robes, and they say, well, but they got crowns on their head. But if you go to later in the book of Revelation, and when the locusts are come out of the uh, they come out of that 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 horrible pit. They've got crowns in their heads too. So it's, it's kind of hard to describe these as, as saints or representative of the saints because they have white robes and, and, and crowns. So because there are others who have white robes and crowns as well. So not necessarily are they are they um, um, saints. Um, also people would say because of the song that they're about to sing about how that the lamb was slain for them and how he redeemed us to, to God to be priests and kings. And so... That's probably the best of the, um, the proof for these being representatives of the saints. Is their song to the Lamb. However, I submit to you that I believe that Old Testament saints as well are redeemed to God by the blood of Christ. And so, I don't think that necessarily they have to be um, only New Testament believers. I think that's a, making a dichotomy in salvation. That the Old Testament saints were saved by a different means that New Testament saints were. And I don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that any Old Testament saint was, was saved by um, the, the keeping of the law. Rather, we read very clearly that no man could ever be saved by the keeping of the law. But that it pointed them in the sacrificial system to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to come. And that Abraham, even before the law, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The second um, picture, and now understand, I like that, the idea of it being representative of the, of the saints of the church. Okay? I, I like that, that's nice. But I like, as well, this second idea very well, and I was glad that somebody challenged me on this, because I learned a whole lot this week. It was kind of fun for me. Um, and that is that these 24 elders are representative of the priesthood of God. That we're told in the book of Hebrews that the, the Old Testament um, system of worship was just a picture of an image of that which was in the heavens. And so that the, the, the earthly tabernacle was just a picture of the, the heavenly tabernacle. Now if you read the book of Chronicles. I think it's 1 Chronicles. Um, you will see that there are 24 orders of the priesthood. And so that the 24 orders of priesthood then would come as a means of picturing these 24 elders who were around the throne of God, and that these 24 elders are then um, heavenly beings, um, some would even call them celestial beings, um, angelic beings, who are angelic priests of God. Um, I don't see that, although I love it, because I love the, the, the idea of that picture being brought back into it, and, and how the, the very clearly the, the tabernacle and the, and the articles in the tabernacle were pictures of the heavenlies. I don't see that because they're sitting on thrones. And the um, the priests were never supposed to reign. They were only supposed to serve God. And so if I would picture then the 24 orders of the priest in heaven, I would picture them doing what? Serving, Serving God in, and then again, in, in in having all changed, the kings and priests being one. It could. Always be. It could be. It could be. But but they then but if they were angelic beings, would they be declaring that, that Jesus Christ had oh, yeah. had redeemed them? Yeah, right. So I don't. So anyway, so I'm not sure about that. So I still come back to then the symbolic um, idea of the twelve and twelve because Jesus told the twelve disciples while they were on the earth that they would reign with him on twelve thrones, um, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve apostles, you get twenty-four. So. Anyway, so I want to come back and be honest with you that I made a statement last week and just moved straight forward and didn't even discuss it because it was a preconceived notion. So now you have, it's on you. There are at least three options that you can choose. All are viable options. And, um, and very clearly the book of Revelation doesn't give us any more information on it. So I've, been, I've told you before that if it's, if it's not clear, I don't want to be dogmatic on it. So I can't be dogmatic on this one. For me... I still hold to the 12 apostles and 12 leaders of, of the tribes, but if you don't hold to that, that's okay. We don't have to, to, um, to part fellowship over, over that, that little detail. Okay, so, so we see these 24 elders, and the first thing we want to see is their possessions. Okay? What are the things that they had? We're first of all told that they had, they had harps. Well, what are harps? Harps are, are instruments of, of music. Now, I think it's interesting for um, the Church of Christ... Um, the Church of Christ <clears throat> doesn't have a piano or any instruments for, for playing music because they say that it's nowhere in the New Testament do they have pianos or do they have, you know, the church have those things. And so therefore, since the church doesn't have them, that we shouldn't have them. Well, I go straight to, to heaven. It, I, don't, I don't care what the, the New Testament church had. But I mean, if, if in heaven they've got musical instruments to praise God, what does it say to me? Surely I can have them. That's exactly right. And so they've got these stringed instruments, okay, of giving praise to God. And so the harps were this, were this picture of praise. But also they're told that they had these golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers filled with the incense, which was considered to be the prayers of the saints. Now I think this is interesting then. So these 4 and twenty elders, when it boils down to not just the words that, that they're going to declare, but their very activities of what is contained in worship, worship really boils down to two activities. Is what? Praise and, praise and prayer. When we talk about individual worship, it's praise and prayer. Most people, most people, somewhere along in their life, start to sing music at some point. Now, you may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. And you may not sing it real out loud so that other people will hear you. But most people, somewhere along the line, start whistling or humming or doing something at some point. Especially when they're what? When they're happy. The question is, what songs come to your mind? What songs come to your lips? What are the songs that you're going to be caught out there, wherever out there is, singing? Christopher? We have his adoration, then by the 24 elders, their possession. Remember I said their possession. Okay, I don't always put all the words up there. You have to listen. So this is good training for when you go to college, Christopher. Okay? you, you got to listen. Hey, you're not even, hey, Christopher, I answered your question. You weren't listening. Dude, this could be bad. If I was your professor, I mean, you know, we be in trouble here. Anyways, um, but their possession. And so they have these harps of praise. So what do we do? And then prayer. I wonder, I understand there's 24 elders, okay? But let's say there's an elder up there representing me. How full is my bowl? How much incense? How much fragrance is is burning out of the censer that he has for my prayer? What kind of a smell? Is coming out of it. Are your prayers God-focused? Or are your prayers me-focused? Paul says to the Philippians that he has a desire for their gifts to be as a sweet aroma before God. And that they are then focused not on themselves, but toward the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you the same as I ask myself as I read through this and I meditate on it. Praise and prayer. Is it really symbolic of my life? If these 24 elders are a representative of the church, if you take that side of it and they're representative of the 24 saints, you know, of the saints, is our gathering together representative of it? You know, I'm just kind of thinking here too. How many are back there? We have about 24 today. It's kind of interesting. Anyways, um, so we're a little bit over that, but what is our worship characterized by? Tonight, we have the opportunity to have sing inspiration, and those inspirations are defined by prayer and praise. The time of praise and the time of prayer. So I want to encourage you to come and be a part of our 420 Elder celebration tonight. Okay? So, anyways. So, secondly, though, we want to look at their confession. Their confession. And what did they confess? First of all, they proclaimed the worthiness of the Lamb. And so what did they do? why was he worthy? Why was he worthy of their praise? First of all, because of his authority. And again, what was the symbolic of his authority? The ability to take that scroll. Could you imagine someone having the audacity to walk up and take the scroll out of God's hands? And not being worthy to do that. Next week we have communion. Part of the communion celebration. That Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Is that he warns the Corinthians. To, to not eat and drink of the, of the elements unworthily. He said for this reason. Some are sick and some are even dying. And so if you think about even here on the earth. If worthiness is important. How much more in heaven? And so the lamb is seen to be worthy because he had the authority. He had the authority to take it. And secondly, because he was what? He was slain. He was sacrificed, we're told. You are worthy, verse 9, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And secondly, because of your redemption, you have redeemed us to God. Now, this is important because there are a lot of people out there who want to help you out. But ultimately their goal is not to lead you to God. But what do they want to redeem you for? Themselves. That's exactly right. But Jesus Christ, when he came to redeem us, his purpose in redeeming us was to point us to God. To give us a relationship with God the Father. And he did it by his his blood. Which is symbolic, if you would, as well of, of his life. There was a when you go through seminary and, and you um and you debate um, the word usage sometimes in translation, um, one of the great debates is the what does blood what does it mean? You know, is it just symbolic of his life that you know his death? Because you know, or is it blood itself? And the answer is yes, because could Jesus have died without shedding his blood? and for his sacrifice to be complete? Right. No, the answer is no. It had to be a blood sacrifice. That was the only way it would fulfill the Old Testament sacrificial system, the sin sacrifice. Remember in the sin sacrifice, they, they had to bleed the lamb, and then the lamb was offered, and then the blood was sprinkled upon the altar seven times, and then it was anointed, the horns of the altar, and then they poured it at the base of the altar... Okay? It had to be a blood sacrifice. But, the other side is, could Jesus then have bled, for you and me, and not have died? And the answer is no. Again, it had to be a blood sacrifice. Incumbent within the concept of a blood sacrifice is that you have blood, and you have a death. That's exactly right. So, so, anyways, when we see this then, you redeemed us by your blood, we understand in there, that there's more than just the blood, it's the the death that's symbolic as well that's in there, that you redeemed us by coming, the whole thing that is symbolized, the gospel that Daniel has been going over with those kids in Iwana every Wednesday night. The whole gospel is symbolic, and that term is blood. And that is that you came to the earth. You lived our life. You died on the cross for us. You shed your blood so that we can have a relationship with God the Father. You redeemed us not only to God, not only by your blood, but also out of every tribe, how many tribes? Every tribe, out of every tongue, and again the word tongue means language, out of every people group, and out of every ethnicity, out of every nation. Four different ways to describe people on the earth. Tribes, some groups are divided into tribes. Yes, Devin. Okay. Normally the Semitic people in, in our American Indians, Native Americans, are really Semitic. Um, they are Oriental is from their derivation. Semitic people really were more broken up into tribes. You see that a lot in, in that area. So every tribe, every language, every people group, every genos, and every ethnos, every ethnicity, that, that Jesus Christ The gospel of Jesus Christ is going to reach into every one of those groupings, and people are going to be saved. The four and twenty elders are praising God that that happened. I ask you: Do you desire to see people saved, to see people redeemed from every tribe, every tribe? Every ethnicity, every people group, and every language. Do you desire to see Iraqis in heaven? Iranians, North Koreans, Chinese, Saudi Arabians, Jordanians, Turks, Kajakasenis? Russians, Latinos, African Americans, Caucasians. This statement, I think is a pretty heavy hitter when it comes to our prejudices. Because with God, there is no respect over persons. There is no prejudices. And then when we get to heaven, this outer shell that we regulate people by is going to be gone. It's going to be all based upon two classifications of people. You're either redeemed or not redeemed. And so they praise God for this, and he says, and he made us what? Kings and priests. What an exciting thing. Kings and priests. Now, already, right now, not when I get to heaven, I am a king, and I am a priest. I need no other mediator between God and me. I have one, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And so, that is why we, when a child gets, ba- uh, gets saved and wants to be baptized, if the, if the, if the dad is saved... We have the dad baptizing. There's no spiritual authority that I have that you don't have if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He doesn't say here, and he's made those who were pastors, you know, high kings and high priests, and and the rest of us as sub-kings and sub-priests. But rather, we're all kings and priests. There is no hierarchical authority when it comes to the spiritual realm. Jesus Christ is our high priest. We are then all priests before him. We are all kings before him as well. And so they give him the glory, they give him the praise. And then secondly then, finally we see his adoration by the multitude. And the multitude cries out, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And, they, and twice they, they, they give praise to God, verse 12, and then as well, verse 13. And we're told in verse 12, they cry out, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then in verse 13, Blessing and honor and glory and power be Him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And in these praises, we see first of all, the deity of the Lamb, His deity. Now, I see that because in Revelation 4, verse 11, What we looked at last week, we read about the glory and the praise that is given to the one who sits on the throne. And note what it says to the one who sits on the throne. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Sound familiar? Okay, glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In a few weeks from now, we'll go into chapter 7, and we see another um, doxology, another song of praise to God. And it says, all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, thanksgiving, and honor, and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now note, then, the three, glory, honor, power, in chapter 4, and then in chapter 7, there are seven attributes. Again, that number of seven being the number perfect praise, okay, that is given unto God. Now this is all unto God and we know from the book of Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8 and 10 that Yahweh has spoken and Yahweh said I am Yahweh, I am the Lord that is my name and my glory I will what? I will not give it to another nor my praise to carved images. Behold the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth I tell you of them sing to who? Sing to Yahweh What? A new song. Sing, No Yahweh a new song in His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and in heaven. In other words, all you people who are from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, right? Every ethnicity. These are the ones who are supposed to be doing what? Singing praise to who? To God. To Yahweh. And And again, in chapter 48, verse 11 of Isaiah, Yahweh says, I will not give my glory to another. But here, in chapter 5, what do we see? The glory being given to the Lamb. And they're singing a new song. And we're told that they sang a new song to the Lamb. And we see in verse 13, it says, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. Okay? The picture of God. But then, right with it, it says what? Into the Lamb. But Yahweh has already declared that he's not going to do what? Share his glory. So we have a problem. Either these two have to be the same individual, or the book of Revelation is wrong, is inaccurate, and you've got to throw it out, or the book of Isaiah is wrong. Do you get it? Do you believe the Bible contradicts itself? No. And so if that's the case, then you have to decide, then who is the lamb? Well, as we've already said, the lamb is, is one who is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals when nobody, no other creative being was, and so therefore, he has to be the creator. Now, we see as well, his due. What is rightly, deser- that he rightly deserves? Well, he deserves the praise that is going to be given to him. And that is what? Power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, Glory and blessing. Now in that, we can go through each one of those individually, and I don't want to spend the time doing that. But again, what it shows from the um, the seven seals, the, the seven spirits of God, is the fullness of the praise that has been given to, to Jesus Christ. You are to give him these things. These He, he owns them. And so your power... Your riches, your wisdom, your strength, your honor, your glory, your blessing, is all a subset of what? It's His. What do you have that you have not what? Received. Received. And so all power is His power. All riches belong to Him. All wisdom is His wisdom. All strength is, is in Him. All honor is due Him. All glory and all blessing. So again, I ask myself then, do I do that? How, how involved in praise if all these individuals from all around the world and in, in the earth are giving this praise to Him, recognizing His deity and recognizing His due, if I am one of the redeemed right now, Shouldn't I be vastly involved in that now? Or is the only time that I participate in this is right now on Sunday mornings? This ought to be something that every time I go before the throne I ought to be faced with. Years ago, I had a, a bald-headed guy. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Anyways. Everybody looks at him. And, 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 yeah, That's right. It's like Elijah, Elisha, right? That's right. I we have the bears come and eat me up now? Anyways, and uh, but Devin and I were meeting together, and um, and we would have a time of prayer together, and, and Devin challenged me the one time he says about it, that he God had really challenged him about taking time to settle his heart before he just started blurting out before God, because when you go to talk to God, where are you going? into his throne room. And do you note that that the attitude of these people, these beings that are all in the presence of God, there is no sign of flippancy, no sign of complacency. They understand exactly who God is. And what effect does it have upon them? They praise him. All power, all riches. All wisdom. All strength. All honor. All glory. All blessing. To you. And I remember years ago coming home from a a trip. I was coming. I think it was in Atlanta. And I was meditating on some struggles at the time. And I was complaining to God. And I was whining. Have you ever whined to God and complained? And, And I distinctly remember God coming back to me saying worship me I don't feel like worshiping you right now you know I mean I'm th- these problems are going on God and I need some I need some solutions here I need I need some 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 understanding you know and he came back and said worship me and so finally I what submitted and I began to sing songs of praise to God and you know what all those problems did what They went away. And it's an amazing thing when they're in the presence of God, when you're really, honestly, truly in the presence of God and focusing on God. It's not the problems that consume your thoughts. It's the awesomeness of God that will consume your thoughts. And so, Christ's desire is to redeem those from all backgrounds He's not a respecter of persons. What about you? What about me? Do I really desire, do you really desire to see people redeemed from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? I challenge you, if there is any prejudice in you, confess it before God. It is sin before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, that there isn't distinctions that are out there. We don't have necessarily enemies in the physical realm. I understand that. Every individual on the face of this earth was created in the image and likeness of God. He didn't choose one people group and say that these are the people who are made in my image. All humans are made in the image and likeness of God and he has a desire that all men should be saved. Even those who are my enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. It is counter to the world. From the world's perspective... We want to say, I don't get mad, I get even. That is not Christ-like. And then finally, have you given the Lamb the worship and praise that is rightfully His? Is He truly the Lord of your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your mercy. Lord, I am grateful that You are God and that there is none else. I'm grateful for the picture of your throne room that you've given to us. Lord, we can't even fathom the, the, the smallest detail of it. Even as it is put into print. But it is so full of praise to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who are worshipers of the Most High God. Who will worship you in spirit and in truth. Who will focus upon your person and your activities. Who you are and what you have done. And we will give you the glory that you rightfully deserve. Forgive us, Lord, for being complacent in our worship. Forgive us for being misdirected in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be ones who seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Where we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's turn in.